welcome to the 2019 Desenio Salone de Moble Roundup. My name is Ollie Stratford, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Desenio, and I'm joined by Christina Rapatsky, Desenio's Deputy Editor. Hello. And Johanna Argerman-Ross, Desenio's Founder and uh, Former Editor. Hi. Um, you're it's... an old hand at Salone, Johanna. I am, I've been there for many years now, I think I counted 12. It's a long time. It's a long time. It's a long time in design. Do you want to give a quick rundown of Salone and what it is for? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's an annual event that happens in Milan, in Italy. It was actually founded in 1961, um, and it's really, at at the origins of it, it was to promote Italian furniture design. And since then, there's a much more international presence, and now they're uh, a very global um, representation at the Salone del Mobile. It's at a specific fairground in Rowe, uh, outside of Milan. It takes about 20 minutes on the, on the train. I think it's the biggest fair, sort of convention centre fairground that I've seen in my life. It's like a little metropolis. Not a little metropolis, it's like a big metropolis. Yeah. 24 halls, I think, in total, um, displaying furniture of many uh, types. And then there's, uh, at the very far end of it, Salon de Satellite, which is promoting and presenting the work of younger designers. So you get a bit of everything. And then I suppose there's an additional uh, part of the Salona that's sort of grown up, I suppose with the help of the fair as a commercial engine in the city of Milan, there there's what's called the Fuori Salone, which is literally outside of the, I suppose, the official Salone. Uh, exhibitions, displays and installations in various showrooms and other venues uh, where you get a chance to look at and think about and engage with design and maybe in a slightly different way outside of the sort of purely commercial context. Yes, so the idea of this podcast is we're going to uh, talk a little bit about this year's event, uh, events, installations, themes and exhibitions that stood out to us and and maybe discuss what the relevance of events like this are uh, today. So first of all, I think we're going to start off looking at sustainability and the presence of that at the fair. Because trade fairs like this, by their nature, are inherently wasteful. The amount of material that goes into creating huge, lavish stands, which are only there for a week and then are frequently junked. Some get reused, but for the most part, um, they're destroyed afterwards. And a huge, huge number of people visit uh, the Sloan this year. So... I think it's around 400,000 attendees, roughly. Yeah, that's the, that's the latest figure from, from last week. And about 180 countries, so yeah. quite far-flung visitors. So it's a tremendous number of people all flocking to Milan, uh, mostly by plane, uh, flying in for a week and then flying out. So there's there's a lot of churn during this week. So I think to start with, we're going to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> tremendous amount of resources that goes into uh, into mounting the fair um, but sustainability uh, and circularity is something that's uh, that's very much come to the top of the agenda for lots of brands so Ollie you've you've seen a couple of projects this year haven't you where uh, where that's evident yeah a couple of projects which maybe seem quite promising in terms of their engagement with material reuse and so on so the first one is the on and on chair uh by barbara and oscar b for emico um it's a sort of rotationally stacking um plastic chair made from pet and the idea is that chair can be endlessly recycled so you know it reaches the end of its life 
you melt it down and it could be the same material could be reformed into a new chair. So in principle, that sounds very good. It sounds uh, promising. It's a gesture towards sustainability. It suggests a certain consciousness in the past of Emico, who've done a lot of aluminium recycling in the past and now are increasingly working with plastic and trying to carry across some of the same ethos. I think Emico had spoken a little bit that they might be interested in um, exploring a business model where maybe they're no longer purely selling chairs, they would be leasing chairs. So the idea might be a business takes a certain number of on and on chairs, then when they no longer need them, they return them to Emico where they could be melted down, reformed and leased out again. So you have this kind of system where using the same material, everyone is getting a new chair each time. That's quite an interesting idea, and I think it could be a really positive thing. The trouble is putting the infrastructure in place to support that. So that's an entirely different business model. And I think Emico would be the first to say they're not there yet. This is very, very preliminary. Um, so they would you, you need that entire back end to support that kind of initiative. So while on and on is very promising, there's, there's still work to be done if it's going to hit its potential. But what's interesting with On and On and the material that it uses with recycled PET is that this is something that Emico presented 10 years ago with the Navy chair that they produced in collaboration with Coca-Cola, reusing Coca-Cola bottles. And they have dedicated together with a, a bottle recycling plants they've been developing this uh, material over the last 10 years so there's been a commitment on the part of emico to actually try and make this a recyclable material because when they first presented it 10 years ago it wasn't and now 10 years later it is so again i think that's a really positive change to see that you look at a brand that sticks with something it's not just for the one-off presentation in milan but they actually develop it over a period of a decade one of the other projects I saw which is interested in the lifespan of furniture and particularly looking at that in terms of sustainability is the Cape Sofa System by Stefan Dietz for Magis. It's a modular sofa and the idea is all of its separate components, so the polyurethane structure, then the padding and the upholstery, are all discrete units. So in principle when one section wears out or maybe you tire of the fabric or something, rather than having to scrap the entire design, which is very wasteful, very resource intensive, you could eliminate that single element and replace that. So it's sort of a little bit Theseus's ship. This design would renew itself over time. But again, like Emiko, there are issues around actually putting the infrastructure in place to support that. So, for instance, when I spoke to someone on the Magist stand, um, obviously they're showing this quite early on. It's not a commercial product yet. Uh, they said they didn't know whether they'd be selling those individual components. The upholstery, they said, yes, of course, you could buy a new upholstery. But in terms of whether, say, you could replace that polyurethane base or whether you could replace the padding, they weren't certain whether they were going to be selling those yet. Sustainability has sort of been designed into the product, but the business model of the of the manufacturer isn't necessarily there to support the full potential of that design. Like you say, Emico is an example of, an, of a brand that's looking into sort of sh shifting their business model slightly maybe or, or even radically to to accommodate these sorts of uh, 
projects. And something, a, a brand that springs to mind is Swedese, the Swedish manufacturer. They launched something called Swedese Repair, I think about two years ago now, where they uh, provide parts from their factories to customers uh, and uh, certify, Swedese certified upholsterers and furniture restorers if, uh, if uh, their customers need to, say, replace one bit. Or, uh, or or a piece of the upholstery, and that's that's really um, encouraging. Encouraging mm-hmm. and, and 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 nice to see. And do, Johanna, do you know any other examples yeah, of that I mean, sort of thing? There's it seems like a few Scandinavian brands are leading in this, and Effect, another Swedish uh, uh, furniture manufacturer, is doing much the same. Actually, where um, I think they call it Life Circle, their um, their initiative, um, whereby they actually encourage people to either return furniture that they do, do no longer need, where they can maybe get a bit of a kind of discount on new pieces that they buy, but also where things can be retailed again in a kind of second-hand environment. Um, and the same with Artec, their second cycle store in Helsinki, sadly only in Helsinki at this point in time, uh, takes old Arctic furniture and uh, retails them again, which, uh, again, we're talking about brands here that are producing furniture that, are normally made to last they're not necessarily throwaway products they're not kind of single use mm. um, materials or single use objects so from that point of view they do have the quality and the research and engineering that have gone into it that makes it um, longer lasting products and I think that if more brands look at that kind of circular economy around the objects that they put out there I think that could be a really really positive thing moving forward. Yeah. And this goes for the Salone itself as well, right? So yeah. the problem is this endless cycle of production and consumption and the rapaciousness of that and the pace at which it moves. One issue around that is the Salone happens every single year and every brand puts out new products, often for the hell of it, for the sake mm-hmm. of it, to have something new to show, to have something to talk about, whether that's an entirely new product, um, a or revamp of an existing yeah, product. New colourway, new upholstery, uh, anything to kind of have something to put, I suppose, on the on the press release. But often these products aren't necessarily ready to, to go onto the market yet, so there'll be typically a handful of prototypes yeah, that on and on chair, for instance, what they showed isn't the finished object. So that was solid plastic, whereas the finished chair is meant to be gas injected. So I know Barbara and Oscarby were a little bit worried about that, happy to show it, but also people picking it up would get the impression this is quite a heavy chair because it's a solid lump of plastic, whereas it's meant to be much lighter. So there's this element of artifice to an extent. What you're being shown are not the finished objects by any means. Mm. I think that obviously we're looking here at Milan as the kind of centre for the presentation of uh, furniture design specifically every year. And it's a long ingrained business model, we say the 58th year of this happening. So I think that it would, of, of course, upset the financial model of the Salone del Mobile uh, if all of a sudden we started presenting less frequently. But they already trial it with things like Euroluce or uh, Eurocucina, which they do every second year. And I think that there could definitely be an argument for saying that you could introduce furniture every second or third year instead of so on an just annual for, basis. Just for people who don't know, Euroluce yeah. is the lighting element of the fair, Eurocucina, the kitchen. The kitchen element. and bathroom, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's yeah. a workplace one as well that happens yeah. every two years. And I think Which certainly is, a lot of designers yeah. would welcome it as well. I Absolutely, think yeah. When we speak to them in Milan, they're not 
necessarily sure that they're so happy to present the products they're presenting at this yeah. point in time. They want some more time to develop and, and research. I think we're at the stage now where that sort of reservation about changing it over the business model just doesn't wash anymore. True. Like the news is to sort of climate change. I, I mean, I think a new story came out while we were over in Milan this year saying that two-thirds of the uh, ice caps and glaciers in the Alps are going to melt, similar statistics around the Himalayas, regardless of whether emissions are cut, just due to what's accumulated already. And so it no longer really feels viable to argue, well, we can't do that because it will upend the business model. Um, You know, treating that sort of financial side as a red line that can't be crossed, but environmental damage, for instance, is something you can play fast and loose with. no longer feels acceptable and feels short-sighted in the extreme agreed on that note there seems to be a few people that reached milan this year by train many more than usual in fact and i thought that was quite positive because if it comes down to us as journalists covering the fair i think that we also need to take our responsibility in that and it was great to see a couple of people actually traveling from britain on trains uh, from sweden on trains from the continent of course it's easier but also from germany and switzerland and maybe that's something we at the senior need to think about in years in the future so yeah Hannah, on the topic of the fair you became quite interested in uh something i think a lot of people would have walked past and not paid attention to which is uh the shop so at fiera uh, in row um they have a salona shop with um branded salona de mobile merchandise and it's advertised with a very large sign which says when design designs design and somehow to me, uh, this, I know you're allowed to laugh. Design cute. Yeah. So for me, when design designs design really sums up the issues with a fair like Salona del Mobile, because when design designs itself, it surely has reached a culmination of uselessness. Um, it's no longer about the user or about the context that it's created for, uh, but it's about design for design's sake. And I think that's the wrong kind of circularity. <laughs> exactly. So it's not the circularity we're aimed for, right? Are yeah. you suggesting there's an element of navel gazing in design, designing, design? <laughs> to me, I think uh, what a lot of designers come into the field for is because they like problem solving, they like to look at society, they like to look at. Uh, look at and pinpoint areas in which things can be improved and whereby you use design to to make that happen. So we've been talking about sustainability, we've been talking about a general sort of anxiety about the overconsumption uh, and and the endless cycle of the new uh, present at Salone. Uh, And uh, Johanna and Oli, you've both been to see the Broken Nature Triennale exhibition, which touches on some of these themes as well. It indeed does. I mean, the Triennale in itself uh, is an interesting occurrence, which uh, happens at the Triennale Design Museum or the Triennale venue, uh, which is in Parco Sempione in Milan. It started as early as 1923, so just after the First World War, whereby it was, again, a way of introducing design thinking and connecting industry with art 
and society. Um, and in some ways, one can say that this is where Salone del Mobile then came out of in, this, in a, the 60s. It was a proto-Salone. It's a proto-Salone. But, um, and it, have, it happened every yeah. three years. Every three years. Yeah. And I so think it has accelerated. It has, it, it, John the Baptist, <laughs> Salone's Jesus. <laughs> Indeed. But for me, I think that the Triennale, uh, in, in its origins, and for the first sort of 40 years of its existence, was very good at connecting design with issues in society. Uh, there were things that came out of um, uh, various triennales, such as in uh, 1947, um, there was uh, the house uh, was the theme of the triennale then, which actually resulted in an urban planning project uh, called the QT8 area, which is still standing in Milan so you know so it's not necessarily just existing within its own bubble it also had further reaching consequences uh, and positive consequences and I think in the, from the 1960s to the 1980s there were a number of these triennale exhibitions that really connected with society and, and politics in, the, in a broader sense and sadly then there was a kind of 20-year gap and nothing happened until 2016 when the triennale was reintroduced but that edition wasn't necessarily very, um, wasn't really noticed that much. And I think 2019, um, Paola Antonelli's curation of Broken Nature has kind of been almost the kind of reinvigoration of the Triennale as a model. It's the first time that you see the Triennale venue also not used by endless labels. It became kind of brand paradise for many years mm. uh, of the 2000s. And you came there thinking you'd see something more critical and contemplative but in fact, it was just kind of more brand showcase, but yeah, more yeah. rented out space to brand. So I think we should so say Paolo Antonelli is a curator of design at, at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and Ex- she's curated this iteration of the Triennale Ex- exhibition. Someone, someone has a reputation for doing very critically engaged shows, which I think are also accessible. Someone who's a very good explicator of design and able to introduce why it perhaps matters to a wider audience outside of design's echo chamber. Yeah. So, uh, Ollie, you you and I went, but what what, what did you make of the show Broken Nature? Uh, Broken Nature is a fascinating show. Um, In part, I I think it's fabulous. I think it's incredibly interesting and important. But the curious thing is I would actually struggle to say precisely what Broken Nature is about. It's quite difficult to condense down. For one thing, there's just the sheer scale of it. It's I don't know the exact number of projects, but it's spread across multiple rooms. It, it takes a long time to get round, and these are quite in-depth projects as well. Um, they all kind of probe at this area of where um, humans interact with nature and the sort of a degradation of nature, perhaps, climate change or, or areas in which nature has been neglected or a link somehow severed. Then on the other hand, it has this kind of technological aspect. So it's looking at how technology mediates that gap. Um, So that's the general idea. It really is quite loose, though. So you have projects in there which perhaps are a little bit baffling in some ways. So, for instance, you have Martino Gamper's 100 Chairs in 100 Days project where... He took uh, elements of chairs he booked, borrowed from friends, found in recycling bins, and then kind of cobbled together these extraordinary hybrid creations over a period of time. And so, for instance, that's a project which sits quite uneasily with that general theme, because how does that tie into either nature or technology? But for me, it speaks of 
a new way of manufacturing. So it talks about reuse, it talks about making things on your own, using the craft of your hands. And I think that 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 section of the show tried to kind of go towards that. I think the show in general uh, would have maybe done better from better signposting around what the different areas actually communicated. There was, of course, uh, introductory text and so on, but not as clearly as one maybe would have wanted. And I think that that maybe took away from fully understanding how to engage with the objects and projects that were on show there. But I think that there was some really incredible uh, projects that were shown that you probably can't get the kind of full sense of that was just presented as photographs. So for example, the Ice Stupa project, uh, which is an initiative of artificial glaciers in in the Indian Himalayas, where by through climate change, um, the local agricultural community are not able to make the most of the melting glaciers because they melt too quickly uh, when winter turns to spring uh, and as a result they run out of water eventually when they need it the most. So in order to turn this around when the ice waters melt too fast they're they're redirected up to colder areas again uh, and create these stupas which are absolutely wonderful installations in nature which sit side by side with um, more... um, traditional architecture um, of the area but that actually as well as being something that adds to the, the vision of that community and the and the architectural landscape of that community is also something that is extremely positive for the community in terms of accessing water throughout the year so those sort of projects sat, as you said alongside Martino Gamper's projects and one could say that they seem kind of worlds apart yeah, yeah. World, worlds apart but I think that in some ways, I think that the, the the richness of the show was also its kind of real um, benefit because it sort of really triggered the brain and the mind to think very broadly about design. I think the show ties in quite nicely with some of the other themes we've already been discussing. So this sense of anxiety over production, anxiety over consumption. To me, the show makes most sense when you begin to interrogate its title a little bit and look at that idea of broken nature and if you ask what that nature is so of course one totally valid reading and probably the most natural is to look at the natural world I think also the show looks at the sort of nature of design and the designer and what the output of a designer is today when maybe you have this weakening or uncertainty around that traditional link between designer and industry and production what happens then so you start getting these sort of um, exploratory outcomes and what could be the role of the designer when we know we don't necessarily need more industrial objects at present so it, it seems to be as much about this sort of break in the nature of the designer and what they should be doing in society as anything else If you enjoyed this Desenio podcast, then we have good news for you. Which is that we are launching a podcast called The Crit later this year. Uh, it's going to be a mixture of discussion around contemporary design and how it intersects with current affairs, as well as long-form interviews with practitioners, curators and academics. 
So if you're someone who thinks design doesn't just happen in a vacuum, but that it interacts with the world, with manufacturing, with uh, social relationships, then you'll really enjoy The Crib and you should tune in. Available wherever you get your podcasts. What prompted by too little sleep, looking at too much drinking and looking at too much design, This is exciting, breaking fresh ground on this new podcast. You heard it here 